Hello, welcome to Laidback Lush. I'm Michael. I'm Gabe. And today we're just doing a quick tasting. Gabe decided to bring us a bottle of Louise Vieira Syrah Toriga Nacional 2018 Vintage. And uh, what can you tell me about this wine? So this is a wine that comes from a more coastal side of Portugal. So we're going to be, from a climate perspective, getting some cooling winds coming in from the ocean, most likely, kind of slowing that ripening process down. But Portugal is also very hot, so getting to full physiological ripeness. So this is actually going to be a little bit of comparative tasting. We're going to be Mm. coming back to this wine at the end of the episode to kind of show you guys a demonstration of why wines need to open up sometimes. All those little flavors that get kind of caught up and need to be exposed to oxygen in Mm -hmm. order to fully express themselves or bloom. Yep. These wines from Portugal, red wines, do tend to be fairly high in tannins. Also typically very rich and very expressive. But as we will get into later, sometimes they just need a little moment to breathe before they really start to showcase all that wonderful complexity yeah. that they're known for. And those tannins end up combining with the oxygen, and that's that's the essential process that allows mm-hmm. that to happen. Yeah, so let's let's take a look at this real quick. So actually, um, I think something you should do, Michael, is cover your hand over and give it a yeah. smell. Uh, well, don't swirl it. And just keep your hand there and actually let the flavors not swirl around because I want Mm. you to smell this without swirling it because it's very different. This is, as we mentioned, Syrah Tariga Nacional blend. Syrah tends to be rather on the berry, dark berry side of the fruit profile. It also tends to be kind of peppery and it can also be rather meaty. Tariga Nacional tends to kind of be in a similar ballpark of flavors, but um, more going into less berry more like cherry dark cherries plum kind of thing and not always quite as meaty but it does um, have a very strong tannic structure normally tariga nacional is a great blending grape for structure you should be fine now i want you to do this because the syrah really comes more without swirling it but then when you swirl it it kicks up all of the oak and the meaty character yeah So this wine is meaty. I would call this a meaty wine. Very. So if you remember way, 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 way back, I believe it was our first episode, we tried a Malbec that was fairly meaty. Mm -hmm. This is very similar, although I would say this is more almost uh, like cooked beef kind of meaty. No, this is incredibly meaty. Like I'm getting all of these savory notes off of it. Yeah, this is a very savory wine. There is a decent amount of oak on here as well. I'm getting a lot of baking spices and vanilla. Yeah, uh, more, more, more French. Yeah, more French and definitely more of the baking spices themselves. I get a little bit of the vanilla, but definitely I think you're right on, on top of it by saying more baking spices. Mm-hmm. Still have that underpinning of fruit, so very dark berries, blackberry, blueberry. We, I am getting some black cherry, some bramble. Like the bush that blackberries grow on. Definitely some bramble going on. And um, we opened this wine a little bit ago. A little bit longer than we wanted to before we started. But... Maybe like a solid five minutes. Yeah. It's still not... It it smells... I'm about to taste it myself. But it still smells kind of tight. It smells like it needs a moment to really open up. I can tell that there are some fruit aromas especially that are trying to express themselves that haven't had a chance to yet and it's it's really evident with the flavor 
I'm definitely yeah. still getting those savory notes. Those mm-hmm. are very evident. Yeah. And there still is that, that bramble. There still is that, that kind of blackberry, black cherry, but I can tell that it, it needs a second and those are really going to come out in a little bit. Yeah. At least we'll see. I completely agree. I think this is something we will definitely have to come back to. Yeah. It, it is the fruit really wants to come out. It's, it smells like, but it's not quite there yet. So actually, with that being said, let, let's get into kind of what we're talking about with opening up and, and some tips and tricks tips for you guys, because that will be the ultimate theme of this episode. Yeah. So wine while you're in. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and any other sort of thing that we might have. I believe we're on Apple Music now as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, iTunes, Spotify. ITunes. So please give us a follow at LaidbackLush. So we wanted to talk primarily about some tips and tricks on how you should be handling your wine at home mm-hmm. uh, in order to get the most out of your money as well as the most out of the experience. Yep. So a couple of things we wanted to go over, basically how to make sure that the bottle that you've gotten is not flawed in any way, how to kind of taste that, how to store it, how to store your bottle, how to store it after you open it if you don't want to drink the whole bottle in one exactly. night. Exactly. Uh, so just a couple of things here and there and maybe some quick tips and tricks if you're going to be buying for a party. Yeah. This will be a follow-up to our previous episode where we talked about what to look for when you're out, so at wineries and shops. So if you haven't given that a listen, definitely give it a listen because definitely do. I thought it was a very good episode myself. Um, and something from that episode that I completely forgot to mention, and it's right here in my notes, wine ratings. So we talked about price points last time. Oh my god, time. no, we didn't do that. Yeah, we talked about price points last time. I will keep this very quick, but... You know, wine critics really affect price points of certain wines. If a respected critic highly rates your wine, all of a sudden everybody wants your wine and you can be charging more for it if you want. It's if you watch the movie Bottle Shock, uh, you are probably familiar with the principle after, you know, the wines in America, the news broke that we had beaten France in several categories. Everybody wanted these wines and they sold out immediately. That is what a good reputation from a respected critic or publication high ratings will really get you a long way in that regard. But going to inside the house and what Mm. happens once that bottle gets home, that 93-point Bordeaux blend or whatever you you got, that's normally what I would be going after. Yeah, Uh, definitely that's uh, Gabe's taste to a T. Yeah. Let's start with decanting. Yeah, so you're not going to really have to decant your white wines. That's just not a thing that happens. Unless I would make an argument that certain oaked styles of white wine yeah. can benefit from some decanting. You're, it's not going to be like your Sauvignon Blanc no, uh, or anything no, no, yeah. like that. The main thing is the more tannins that are in the wine, the more there's going to be potential for a positive reaction with oxygen, which Mm -hmm. is what decanting is all about. Yeah. You are putting it inside of a vessel with a large surface area and agitating. And that agitation allows those tannins to be exposed to the oxygen and thereby is going to open up those flavors. But it will kind of soften the wine Via those two methods, mm-hmm. uh, un- unless there's something else that I, I'm unaware of. So, yeah, it's like you said, decanting is primarily you're trying to get as much wine in contact with oxygen as possible. That's why we have decanters, which if you don't know what a decanter is, it's a large vessel that you pour a bottle of wine into and mm-hmm. it allows contact with oxygen. And depending on the kind of wine, I would say for most of the wines that you would be decanting, so 
highly tannic reds normally yeah give them like an hour so there's discussions to be had on is decanting even necessary because if you're serving to like a dinner party absolutely if you want to just go ahead and have the wine at the perfect serving point when it gets to the person go ahead and decant it yeah i personally though prefer to pour wine into a glass because a glass will just kind of have the same effect but on a more micro level it's not going to be doing the whole bottle of wine at once and you can kind of have a fun journey smelling it as it evolves in the glass which is something that we're actually doing over the course of this episode with the wine that we're drinking right now now if it's that you're pairing a specific wine to a specific dish you may want to decant and especially if you haven't i've actually had chefs even say to aggressively decant if you are serving it with a specific dish and yeah. you'll be able to smell at which point yeah no it's already opening up yeah. we, we're we're sipping on this thing and it's it's already starting to express a little bit more of that acidity mm-hmm. yeah but anyways you can kind of aggressively decant to get more of that stuff you're really just aggressively swirling it Another method that you can use to expose your wine to oxygen is aeration. And you can get an aerator. Sometimes they're paired with the decanters themselves. Yeah. Sometimes they're quite artful and beautiful to watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they'll either swirl the wine down a a glass tube of some sort or or something like that in order to just expose that wine to more oxygen as it's coming out the bottle. I don't particularly find like a, a huge need for the very artful, fancy ones. But if you like the aesthetic and you can afford one, absolutely go for it. Again, I've said this before. I'm a very utilitarian drinker. I'm like, if I can get a rubber stopper that has like a mesh built in that will act as an aerator, I'm perfectly yeah. fine with that. However, there is a magnetic wine aerator that exists. Mm. And it's really interesting. Apparently, it's from technology that was developed to help filter water. But somehow it got discovered that it can change the flavor of wine. And this is really is. interesting. I remember the first time that you had us try this. This, yeah. was, this was back when we actually did the gas station wine tasting. Oh, no, it was but after it, that. What? Well, era. That was oh, yes, era. It was in that era. It was in that era. But it wasn't gas station wine we were trying this yeah. on. I need to make that completely clear. <laughs> uh, so the magnetic wine aerator that I have, it's basically a clip that goes over the neck of the bottle. And it has magnets in it. And... It sounds like BS, but you can taste a difference. If you ever want to have a fun experiment, get three glasses, pour just the wine in one, pour wine with the clip on facing in one direction in the next glass, and pour wine with the magnet flipped around to face the other direction in the next class and all three of them will taste a little bit different it is it's really we did this weird. blind yeah it's it's weird and <laughs> it's it's weird but seriously it it was it was a stark difference yeah there was a very clear difference between these i kind of use it as a cheat where if i'm drinking a wine that i don't particularly like you'll just <laughs> I'll, I'll use it just because it it legitimately especially for cheaper bottles it can actually improve the flavor sometimes that is so interesting i'm yeah. gonna have to try that now and they're not very expensive i think the one that i have was like 12 dollars off of amazon or something so um yeah i don't like this i'm gonna change it <laughs> yeah no I, but but it's a great tool to have if you do open up a wine and you find out oh i don't really like this if you have this laying around have you ever had it go the other way around where you yes. like Oh, really? Where you yeah. you tried it through that and you're just like, uh-uh. But typically, if you flip it the other way, it, it will do something different mm-hmm. that could also improve it. So again, it, depending on which way it's facing, it'll change the flavor. I don't understand it, but it's cool. I, <laughs> we, we need to research this. Yes. Um, so next thing, this is something that I have done quite a bit of research on is methods of preserving your wine because 
if you're not having a dinner party or you have a a slightly more expensive bottle of wine, maybe you want to store it for for a second. Mm-hmm. So there yeah. there are a lot of different ones that are available. You can use a stopper. A lot of stoppers will allow you to vacuum out. You can just as easily use a cork if it's not a a vacuum stopper, in my opinion. A lot of this, though, you want to store it in the fridge because that's going to obviously slow everything down. Red or white, it slows it down when it's colder. I don't recommend freezing it because – Yeah, that that normally will harm the wine, actually. That that will harm the wine tremendously. But then you have the vacuum stopper. Theory behind Mm -hmm. the vacuum stopper is that you are trying to get as much oxygen out of the wine. Mm -hmm. I've actually seen some wines go fizzy with this because you're you're also – pulling out a little bit of effervescence. Yeah. Definitely don't use this method on any sort of champagne or sparkling wine. Then you can also have uh, just using nitrogen gas. So you can just put that in. It's heavier than oxygen. So if you do it nice and slow, you can just push all that oxygen out. It's put called stopper a in. blanket system, fun fact. Blanket system. He, yes. knows, he knows things. I just sold it. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. That kind where you pump some kind of inert gas back yeah. in is typically referred to as a blanket system. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, which also happens to be how they do a lot of um, keg cups for coffee. Yep. So you can do that. My personal preference is actually to pair that with the vacuum stopper. You know, you're, you're pulling stuff out and you're mm-hmm. also, you know, just trying to keep it nice and light so you don't yeah. have the weight of that gas on top of the wine. You also kind of have a... Uh... And method that doesn't make you open the bottle, per se. Yeah, it's more of an extraction method. This is the Corvin. It's a pretty fantastic method. Yeah, you might have heard of it already, but it is basically a device that has a very long needle that you push through the cork, and it allows you to pour wine without ever opening the bottle, technically speaking. Like a mosquito extracting from from the bottle. Don't say that. Don't, (laughs) Don't compare it to a mosquito. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> but the and it also will pump argon gas back into the bottle yeah. uh, to help preserve the wine. Very heavy uh, gas that mm-hmm. does not react with the wine like yeah. at all. These are are typically fairly pricey, but again, you're not opening your bottles per se, and so it beats even blanket systems and and vacuum seals because since you're never breaking the seal in the first place, no oxygen was ever able to get into that bottle. However, that being said. By penetrating the cork enough times, you do kind of compromise the integrity of the cork itself. So you can get a couple months on on Coravin bottles, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even up to a year, I would say. Uh, I'm not an expert on this. Maybe check the Coravin website to make sure. But don't age a bottle for like 10 years that you Coravin yeah. because it will probably have spoiled by then. Yeah. The other thing is artificial corks are going to be a lot more susceptible to this than mm-hmm. the natural corks. I don't think you're supposed to use it with artificial corks you're, if you're I remember really correctly not. because it doesn't expand back out to yeah, fill in the gap. Exactly. And so that's one thing that you want to be aware of. Corvin also does have aerators that you can buy in order to attach to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Corvin wants to sponsor us, then I would love that. <laughs> they do not. But it really is an amazing tool. Yeah. I've been able to see things with uh, around six months of good longevity. My taste memory might have been deceiving me, but they tasted pretty similar by that yeah. point. No, it it really is a great invention that keeps your wine for much longer than any of the other aforementioned methods. Yeah, and I mean, it's literally you put the needle down, you pressurize the bottle with the argon glass, and it pushes out the wine through the system so that you're you're literally not even opening this bottle. Yeah. Then there's my most favorite hilarious method, <laughs> which it works for white wines especially well, is the uh, air stopper. So it's a small pump attached to a balloon. You put it down into the bottle of wine, and then you pump it up. 
and fill in all the gaps. It sounds like how Bugs Bunny would keep his wine fresh. No, seriously. It's like you can see Acme just on the side of it. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's, it's literally just the most hilarious method. I would only give him maybe three days, though, because the yeah. balloon does start to deflate. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's going to let the stuff in. And it's not as though you can put a cork in behind it or a stopper in behind it because yeah. there's no way to get the tube to disconnect from the mm-hmm. balloon. Yeah. So it's just kind of in there hanging out. Yep. But uh, especially okay for, for white wines, which are going to be a lot more susceptible to that, that damage. Mm-hmm. And your vacuum, we didn't mention a time on vacuum seals. Your vacuum seals can go about a week. Yeah, yeah. If you keep them in the fridge, maybe a week and a half to two, maybe maybe that's pushing it. Maybe. If it's a particularly heavy tannin wine, you're going to get a little bit more longevity out of it. But that's, you're you're working with some some experimental stuff at that point. Mm -hmm. If you haven't opened up the bottle of wine and you're like, well, I I just bought this lovely Bordeaux blend Mm -hmm. and I would love to be able to store it in a place that is going to either improve or at least keep the quality the same. Yeah. This is going into something called cellaring. Yeah. And there are a lot of different options for you, but the main things are are going to be what? What do we need about this? You want cool, dark, low to no temperature fluctuation. So... Anything from a closet that is in an area of the house that does not experience temperature fluctuations often. Do not cellar wines in your kitchen. Your no. kitchen has far too much temperature fluctuation. And it's a, a lot of humidity idea. fluctuation. A lot of humidity. You do want some humidity because you want those corks to remain full and, and expanded in there. You Which want also, them on their side. Yeah, there it is. You want them on their side, so the, particularly the inside seal is remained uh, or kept intact, I should say. Because you do want oxygen exposure. You just want slow, yeah. long yes. oxygen exposure through that cork. That's why you want it to be cool as well, because cool temperatures tend to slow down chemical reactions. Normally, uh, for, for us Fahrenheit users, 50 to 55 degrees is a good kind of in-between if you're storing reds and whites. You can go on the lower end and maybe even a little bit below 50 for white wines. And you you do want to stay at maximum 60, I would say, for red wines yeah. if you're cellaring them. You want it dark because particularly sunlight, even fluorescent lights will do some some damage. But sunlight in particular is horrible for wine. Yeah. It really damages it. And, and speaking of which, again, we went into how if you have a more tannic wine, that's going to keep better well, also, aging your red wines is always going to turn out better. So a mm-hmm. very high tannin wine, that's going to be the one that you keep in the cellar the longest in yeah. order to get that stuff to happen. There's there's kind of three elements of a wine for it to age well. High acidity, high tannin, high sugar. Mm-hmm. All of those act as preservatives for the wine so that it has the potential to stand up to oxygen and not spoil. So so turns can age for a long period of time. They have very high acidity even though they they don't taste like it, but they do have very high acidity. They have very high sugar. Yeah. Which is why you don't taste that high acidity. Yeah. Um that's why Cabernet Sauvignon is used in so many red blends that are meant to age for long periods of time like Bordeaux blends is because Cabernet Sauvignon is a highly tannic, highly acidic wine. Again, acid 
tannin, sugar. Those those are what you want to look for for a wine that has the potential to age for a long time. Okay, so let's say, Gabe, I'm I'm a wine purchaser. I have just dug out a wonderful wine cellar underneath my house, which mm-hmm. is completely built up to code because that's what we recommend on this channel. <laughs> and I am going to be buying some different varieties of wine. What varieties should I be looking for? For aging? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's very difficult. Uh, well, you know, Bordeaux blends are kind of the gold standard, particularly, obviously, from the region of Bordeaux. So um, lots of Cabernet, lots of Merlot. Yeah. So Cabernet Sauvignon is a great contender. Um, this wine that we're drinking right now actually would age for quite yeah. well. It's Syrah, Tariga Nationale. Syrah, if it's made correctly, can age for quite a while. A lot mm. of Rhone, high quality Rhones do have the potential to age. Some white wines can age for quite a while. You do kind of have to know what you're looking for. Let, all right, let me let me do a top three. So top three, I would say any kind of Cabernet Sauvignon based blend mm-hmm. or just a good quality Cabernet Sauvignon can age for a long time. A red blend that has grapes that are high tannin. Mm-hmm. And at least one grape that is bumping up the acid will give you potential for good aging. And if you want to cellar a white wine, I would recommend primarily, I would say Riesling, because Riesling mm-hmm. does tend to be one of the grapes that tends to age the best. You can age champagne. Most champagne is already, already. aged to yeah. where the winemaker thinks that it's at its best yeah, it's drunk ready. potential yeah yeah if you are going to age one i would go for the magnum bottles because that's going to be less oxygen getting into the wine but really all you're going to be doing is throwing the balance in favor of those more bready yeasty biscuity flavors mm-hmm. so it's not it's not so much you need to do this it's more of a you can yeah. if you want to so uh as far as as all that goes though we we went a little bit into preservatives mm-hmm. and so one preservative that is put in pretty much every wine is yeah. going to be sulfates. Yeah. Unless now, you're drinking natural wines but even then some of them will use a little bit. Yeah. There there are a lot of wines that will claim because they're organic or whatever that they have no sulfates added and this is due to the fact that a lot of the market believes themselves to have a sulfate or sulfite sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Now this is true for some people. It is not true for a majority of the people that claim it. That being said, though, there are some uh, solutions for this. There are aerators that act as filters. They're fairly easy to purchase. My mother actually has a sulfite sensitivity, so I did actually need to get her one of those, and it did solve the problem. Yeah. But a lot of people, they're actually just sensitive to the tannins mm-hmm. or they're dehydrated for whatever reason. And Well, it, it's because they're drinking and they're not drinking water. Yeah. Alcohol is a diuretic, which means it strips your body of water. Mm-hmm. So it will make you dehydrated if you drink too much. So you got to be very careful when you're when you're doing your stuff. Remember, be kind to yourself. And the better hydrated you are, the more you'll get out of the wine anyway. Drink more water in general. Most yeah. people don't drink enough to begin with. Yeah, Get a big old thing yeah. like I do. I have a very, very large bottle that I use. Also with sulfites, um, there's a lot of, uh, I would call it fear mongering around the amount that's added. Mm hmm. It's not as much as you think it is, or at least not what the yeah. scare around how much it, it is will have you believe. If you eat dried fruits, you're probably consuming more sulfites from dried fruit than you are from wine. Yeah. So fear mongering is a method of getting people to pay more attention to you. Yeah. The fact is, is that it's it's just not as bad as people say it is. Yeah. It's not really a harmful, unless you are sensitive to it, it's not a harmful preservative. 
It's perfectly safe. There's a reason we've been using it. We've been using it basically since we knew about it and exactly. winemaking. So. Now, there are some things you should be keeping your eyes on, and those are faults. Yes. Now, the best part about shopping for wine when you find a fault is that they are more than likely going to be very receptive to you returning the bottle and replacing the bottle. That happens. Yeah, no. Gabe's, Gabe's smiling because this wine has been opening up real beautifully. The acidity is expressing itself a lot better now. Yeah, he's having a good time. So – uh, not speaking of how good of a wine this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. what happens when things go wrong? We have a couple of different things that mm -hmm. can happen. Yes. So we have our volatile acidity, which is basically what it sounds like when acidity in a wine kind of gets out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Now Michael's smiling. Now, now <laughs> I wasn't talking, so I could smell it. So, so now I'm understanding. <laughs> volatile acidity, the most common uh, descriptors for it will be a nail polish remover kind of smell it can be done actually in very restrained ways to give a bit of a lift to a wine purposefully or it can be kind of um controlled during the winemaking process if it is present to not have it overpowered but if if your wine smells like nail polish remover or acetone that's volatile acidity um, yeah. i have had a couple of wines that have had that it's it's pretty noticeable yeah. when it's there uh, another problem can just be simple oxidation. Yes. The wine gets too exposed to oxygen. Mm -hmm. That's going to be your vinegary smell. Yeah. Yeah. It'll kind smell of, kind of spoiled. Yeah. And it could be that you, you're still getting a lot of the fruits, but it's more of like an artificial fruit. Yeah. It can also start getting, I don't want to confuse you because this is what we're drinking is a meaty wine, but it can give, um, like off meaty flavors, mm -hmm. like almost like spoiled meat. I, I had one bottle go on me. I'm pretty sure it was a faulty cork that yeah. ended up kind of almost smelling like rotting beef. The closest thing I can, I can relate it to because I had one that was both sun damaged and oxidized. Mm -hmm. And it smelt like somebody who didn't actually know how to wash a cast iron skillet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And it, it just hit me and I was just like, oh, yeah. my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's another thing that can happen. The next thing that can happen. Oh, you, you put down the uh, you put I down did. the thing. I did. That's Cork good. taint. Cork taint. Yes. So this can come from the disinfecting process, actually, of cork. Yeah. It can also be naturally occurring. So fungus can occur in cork. Mm -hmm. And in order to deal with that, they put in a fungicide. And if that gets out of balance, then it can it can cause some problems. Yeah. And so corktain is caused by a specific chemical. It's normally called TCA for abbreviations sake, but it's trichloroanisole. It's a chemical compound. There's another kind that's less common. I did not write that one down. But this will give flavors of like damp cardboard or like wet dog. Unwashed laundry. Unwashed laundry. Just like think damp linens, kind of mildewy. Or... If it's not heavily prevalent, but it's still there, it can just be a very muted nose. If mm -hmm. you smell a wine and it, you're struggling to find stuff, but then if you taste it, it's very expressive on the palate. That is a good likelihood that there is some cork taint yeah, at play there. It's like trying to smell the pie through a stuffed animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then we have the inverse of oxidation, which is reductive character in a wine. That can manifest more as boiled cabbage or canned vegetable smell now sometimes vegetal compounds or not compounds vegetal notes are something that you're looking for but this will yeah, be a well, lot more pronounced yeah, but it, there's a difference between like asparagus and sauvignon blanc and this it normally has a very metallic edge that's why i say canned vegetables in particular mm -mm. 
Then you have Brett or Bretanomyces. Yes. Now this one can or cannot be a flaw. Um, A lot of particularly old world European winemakers like to have a little bit of Brett. And for those of us who are are beer drinkers, this is actually something that is used almost exclusively for fermentation Mm -hmm. in certain styles of sours. Yeah. But inside of a wine, if it did get in there and it wasn't supposed to, barnyard band-aid mm-hmm. that's that's essentially what you're getting off of this yeah yeah that that's perfect it, it's it's stinky and sweaty if it's out of check and if it's too prevalent it is considered a flaw yeah another thing that can happen and this happens more often than not somebody bought some wine and it was in their trunk and they left it there for for a little bit or just while it was being transported it happened you can cook your wine. Once you heat it up to a certain point, it's going it's, it's gonna to do some bad things to it. Yeah. Cooked wine is just what it sounds like. If you have a wine that was transported and too much heat, or if you bought wine and left it in your, you know, baking in the middle of summer car for a couple of hours, it can... I. It, it it will smell cooked. I don't yeah. really know how else it, to put it. It can like kind of restart fermentation. So it might yeah. even taste slightly effervescent, but you're going to get all of these artificial jammy notes that are yeah. in there. Kind of like think all of those wonderful fruity notes are now just runts versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have uh, – typically I find it to have a higher acidity, but it's also going to express itself with some effervescence. Sometimes it can even push the cork out of the bottle. Yeah. This happens yep. all the time in the sales industry. Mm-hmm. I wanted to throw in if you're throwing a party. Mm-hmm. Um, more than anything, I would just say know your audience, yeah. know who's coming, and and get a feel for what they like. If you've listened to our podcast for long enough, hopefully you kind of at least have an idea of if someone tells you like their favorite food or or at least a category of wine that they normally like. Or even just how they take their coffee. Yeah. And the internet, again, Google is your best friend in a lot of these scenarios. And we will leave all the other tips in this episode up to you once you open that bottle of wine that you chose, yes, whether please. you want to decant it or whether you want to you know, serve it just in the glass or what have you. Yeah. Another rule of thumb when you are throwing a party, think one drink per hour per person. That is a good rule of thumb. Uh, there are typically going to be five servings of wine in each glass that you serve, which is more true for your more expensive wines than it is for your cheaper wines. Yeah. Also know what your serving size is per person. Yes. Know your mm-hmm. audience. All right. Now, that being said, we have now given this wine a second to open up in the glasses and we are both very pleased. Yes. And again, this is the Luis Vieira. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> it's V-I-E-I-R-A. And we don't speak Portuguese, as we said. So We don't. I actually have an aunt that speaks Portuguese. We can have her dub over our, our voices. <laughs> no, It'll be just, very jarring. Yeah, <laughs> just have her very clearly female voice over top of our... Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll work. It'll yeah. be fine. She, yeah. just, she just has to say it with sass. And, I, I've done harder things it. editing the show in the past. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so uh, we are we are running a little short on time, so we're going we're gonna to have to kind of be a little speedy about this, but we do want to be thorough. So for me, Michael's still kind of investigating. I know for me... Since we've opened this and we talked about it a little bit earlier, the fruit is coming forward a lot. So this wine, I would say there's kind of three main components of this wine. There's the fruit, there's the oak, and there's a very strong savory kind of meaty flavor. Not meaty brett or oxidizing meaty, but very like the way Syrah typically displays meaty, almost kind of like a beef jerky cured meat aroma. 
I would say those are kind of the three big elements in this wine. And the longer this wine has stayed in my glass, at least, they were a little bit, um, I'm going to say jagged. And I'm sorry, I really hate using vague language like yeah, this when I'm tasting. Esoteric. When I say jagged, it's kind of like these things were very distinct and they were mm-hmm. kind of separated from one another. Like you smelled, yeah. you smelled the fruit, then you smelled the oak, and then you smelled the meat. Now they're much more integrated. Yeah. It's kind of like a soup. Yeah. It, when you first try a soup right after it's come off the stove, it tastes good, it smells good, but then you leave it in the fridge for a day and everything is really melted together. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at here. I, yeah. And I definitely have noticed like, the cherry has become a lot more tart than it was. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely getting even kind of like a creaminess to it. Mm-hmm. And then those more oaky notes are coming through so that I am getting more of a dusty tannin than I was before. Very well integrated. This wine does tend to be more in the berry and there is some pepperiness going on. Very typical of Syrah. But the Tariga Nacional just brings a really nice backbone. Again, Tariga Nacional is a great blending grape because it has the tannin structure to really carry a a bold heavy red yeah and not have it feel um out of balance yeah no i'm absolutely loving this wine it does again have those more meaty notes i'm definitely getting some of that beef it's a bit lighter now i would say that i would i would compare Mm -hmm. this more to like a sirloin sirloin or i would start going into like your salamis or your pepperoni category where it's starting to get more into cured meat and i think that a lot of that's coming from the interplay between the oak spice and that meaty aroma i think you're 100 percent on top of that right now because i definitely get that kind of like this has been blended there's some heat to the savory Mm -hmm. you know there's some pepper to the savory here yeah and I'm going to guess, okay, yeah, I was going to say 13, 5, uh, 13%. So there is some alcohol heat going on, but it is not out of balance at all. Mm-mm. This is wonderfully balanced. Beforehand, yeah. it, it felt smooth. Mm-hmm. Now I'm really being able to get, cause the acid is there enough in order to cause my mouth to water, but I yeah. have enough tannins there to really soak up mm-hmm. the amount of, of watering that my mouth is doing. And the tannins are also very ripe. So, mm-hmm. If you're not into high tannin wines, this is probably not going to be the wine for you regardless. But I will say this is not grippy. It's very velvety in texture. The tannins yeah. are very velvety in texture. They are mouth coating. They are they are drying to a degree, but it's not harsh. It's yeah. not it, they're not green tannins is what they're called when they're underripe. Yeah, it glides over the palate. Definitely. You can feel the weight of the tannins, but it is not sitting there just grating your palate whatsoever. It is. Good drinking if you like mm-hmm. a high, a highly structured tannin. And a great finish. Mm-hmm. The fruit in particular is what really lingers on this wine. Yeah. Oh, I'm loving this. Yeah. Well, anyways, as we continue to enjoy this wine uh, into the evening, we thank you so much for listening. Yes. Uh, we understand a, a couple of you have even been recommending our little podcast to your friends and family. And we greatly appreciate that. Even if they aren't your friends and family, we recommend you just, you know, shout this from the rooftops. Yeah, if you're at a stoplight and someone has their window rolled down, just listen to Laidback Lodge. Yeah, and literally every time that you walk (laughs) into somebody's home and they have one of those live, laugh, love uh, things, they are our primary target. 
So no. are, are they though? No, they're not. Are they though? Uh, but but if they have any sort of vanity, no, thing, no shame if you do have one of those. Keep listening if you do. But, yeah, uh, no, totally. Just know we're judging you a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. We we judge everything but accept everyone. So that's exactly our, yeah. that's our deal. It's yeah. always a positive. Um, but thank you again so much for listening. Uh, I've been Michael. I've been Gabe. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>